and it's the idea where you know you have the the, the queen and the, the 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 drone are the same they're genetically identical and yet one knows what to do to feed the other one this this thing to turn it into a queen the queen knows what to do everybody's doing their job and that's what we have to realize we are one or almost like there's a guy by the name of um he is inexperienced he wrote the book called the children of the grays um brett oldham is his name fascinating book at one point he's talking with the tall gray and he's he wants to confront him so he says to him he asks you a question what's your concept of god and he said the tall gray looked at him and he said we are one with the one who is all. That is the message. That is exactly. Everybody is one with the one, whatever you want to call it. And when you understand that, then all the war goes away. I say categorically, this is one of the downloads I got. It's this idea of separation versus oneness. Everything I maintain, everything that is considered evil goes back to the belief in separation. If you do not believe in separation, you cannot create evil. Evil comes when I suddenly think I'm better than you, that your skin color is different than mine. I'm better than, you know, all this kind of stuff. I have to take your stuff. I have to kill you. If you you actually realize that we're cells in the same body, it's like one cell is going to go and kill another cell or steal the other cell. You are to be one to do your job in the body and everybody works together. And then the body is healthy. When the when everybody starts separating and doing their own thing and the egos are all clashing and everybody's fighting about I'm better than you, I've got a better policy than you, then you get the separation, then you get disease and the body dies. I love that. I'm one cell in the one body. Yeah, yeah, in the body of God. Yeah. 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 You got to accentuate the positive. Wow! I feel good. A little bit of feel good goes a long way. You're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just bad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? Hello and welcome to another show, Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain. Look who I have with me today, the brilliant and gorgeous and delicious Grant Cameron. Welcome to the show, Grant. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I love Grant Cameron. Look, I found you a few years ago on UFO Hub, you know, Adnan's. Okay. Adnan. uh, I just love Adnan. I had him on the show too because... It's amazing how many amazing people are out there that are like behind the camera and you don't see them. And I wanted to put him in front of the camera because he's so special, but he was a little bit freaked out about being in front of the camera. But (laughs) I I listened to your talk with Adnan and um, not that he says anything, you do all the talking, but, and I'm thinking now he's a UFO guy that's really got some answers, you know, (laughs) then it's taken me years to actually contact you. But uh, Today, I wanted to talk about consciousness, which is your favorite subject, right? Yes, yes, it is. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, I, I appreciate that because a lot of people, I think, sort of they like almost like a Hollywood movie thing. They, you know, want the good guys and the bad guys, and they just want to hear a good story. And you sort of know if you're in consciousness that a lot of the crowd will just sort of roll their eyes and it's like, oh, you know, don't go there again. But I, it is the answer, I believe. It's when you get to that, then you start to understand what's actually going on. Absolutely. Absolutely. You've got, you've got the answers. Anyway, um, you know, like a lot of people in the UFO field are in their curious mind, 
which yeah. is what a researcher is in. I have a curious mind. But then you have to allow the curious mind to meld with the, you know, the conscious mind, the intuitive mind, so that you can sort yeah. of step out of that questions and receive the answers. And I think you're doing that really well. And But a lot of people who watch UFO stuff and ET stuff, they're like, they're in their criticism, they're in their curiosity, and yeah. they're not really getting the picture. And I think you really bring them the picture. So um, you got the yeah. picture. Anyway, let me read your bio, your fabulous bio. We're going to talk today about the messages in the music. The yes. ET messages in the music, amongst other things, because you've got some uh, exciting things coming up, which we'll talk about. Here we go. Grant Cameron is a recipient of the Leeds Conference International Research of the Year, Researcher of the Year, and the UFO Congress Researcher of the Year. He became involved in ufology uh, as the Vietnam War ended in May 1975 with a personal insight of a UFO object which locally became known as Charlie Red Star. These sightings led to a decade of research into the early work done by the Canadian government into the flying saucer phenomenon. Grant became an authority on the government program with Wilbert B. Smith, who headed it up. From here, Grant proceeded to do almost two decades of research into the role of the President of the United States in the UFO mystery. Most of the research can be found at the President's UFO website, which is your website, mm -hmm. .com, right? Great. Cameron, Cameron Grant has lectured widely in Canada, the United States and Europe. He was one of the 40 witnesses that testified in front of six ex-senators and Congress in Washington for the Citizens Hearing UFO on Disclosure. When was that, Grant? 2013. And what became of, of that? What became of that? Uh, they had a transcript done of it. Um, there was, a, I guess the main thing was that a lot of, a lot of the best evidence actually got recorded on camera so that uh, they sold tapes. But there was, as with all ufology, there was sort of a fight about who controlled it and, and who was going to get the message, who was going to control the tapes and all this kind of stuff. So it sort of died that way. But in terms of the actual evidence, if you want to see some really good evidence, because you had the sort of the top researchers bringing their best material and it was all filmed in high def and really well done. Mm -hmm. Well, you've appeared in many television documentaries on UFOs and has been interviewed by nearly a hundred radio shows, including a number of appearances on Coast to Coast AM. Your most recent book, I don't know if it's your most recent book, The Clinton UFO Storybook. I think you've got another one out since then, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. the, the music book was the, the latest one. Uh, I had the Clinton book, then I had Managing Magic, which is a, a disclosure book, which everybody got excited about with the whole Tom DeLong to the stars, all that kind of stuff. But the music book is the latest one uh, that uh, came out last, late last year. Okay, so your other books are Tales of Charlie Red Star. When did that yeah. come out? That's that your was story. early last year. That was the only one that went through a publisher, which was a little bit unfortunate in terms of a publisher. You know, they're selling it for 1995, so they want 80,000 words, so you got to cut 40,000 words out. It wasn't my best experience, but it was the story of how I got involved. And that's something that I always try to point out to people that I always have empathy for people who really don't understand what's going on because everything that happened to me, I didn't intend. I didn't intend to have a sighting. I didn't intend to have a consciousness download. 
uh, I just got dragged into one rabbit hole after another. So the Tales of Charlie Red Star was the story about how this young kid who's going to university is not interested in UFOs, how the phenomena drags me into this phenomena and gets me involved. And it's kind of an interesting story because it's like this sighting story of, of this town that gets inundated. A bunch of people are seeing this stuff. I go and talk to all these people. They really don't want to talk. And it's the kind of stuff that people really like. They like to hear a story about, you know, somebody on a country road and seeing something. And that, so that was kind of um, a unique book, completely different than everything else that I've done. But it was a book that I tried to get published in 1975 mm. or 1976, and nobody would publish it. And the local publisher in, I live in a big city, about 700,000 people. The local publisher said, Mr. Cameron, you may believe in this kind of stuff. Count me among the unbelievers. And I was, whoa, I just, I couldn't believe it. And that's actually what got me going because then I, uh, I think one of the problems that we have in ufology and in everything, in consciousness as well, is that unless you had an experience, it's a faith thing. And a lot of people, that's why they're, they're interested in UFO sightings. They're interested in videos because they really don't have the faith. They, they're thinking, I got to prove this to my sister or my mother. Yeah. I've got to prove this to myself, whatever. I saw it up close. And my first sighting was up close. I've never had the problem of saying, I wonder if this is for real. I don't care. I know what I saw. And so when they told me, we're not interested in your stupid stories about UFOs and what these people saw, I went, what the? So then all I was interested in is who in the world has the answer to what I saw? Somebody has to know what that thing was. Yeah. I'm just a little guy in Canada, you know, no major degrees or anything like that. I'm thinking somebody's got to know. And so my whole career was, Knowing that it was for real, knowing that something very definite was going on, and trying to find out who actually knows the answer. And it wasn't who I thought it was. I thought it was like the Canadian government. I thought it was the president. And it turned out it wasn't. It, they may know, but they're not going to tell you. Then it came to this idea that you can tap into the field, which is the consciousness thing. You can tap in and get the answer. Or you can go to people who are interacting with the phenomena. Now, whether the phenomena is UFOs or spirits or whatever it is, there are people that are tapped in and people will say, ah, it's just anecdotal. They just believe they had these experiences. And I go, it's all anecdotal. It's all belief. You have a belief too. You believe the world is, you know, uh, random, meaningless. You have all sorts of beliefs as well. You just don't, you think you're, you have knowledge. And um, so I realized that, that it's all belief and that the people you've got to talk to are the people that are interacting with the phenomenon. Because they will tell you. They're, they're waiting for someone to actually believe their story. And so you can say maybe 10% of them are making up stuff. I don't care if you give them lie detectors. I don't care what you do. But mm. listen to these people. I mean, yeah. they're telling you absolutely stunning material that tells you why am I here on earth? Where am I going? And what am I supposed to be doing? That's the stuff, kind of stuff that people will tell you. It's this basic, the meaning of life thing. It's got nothing really to do with aliens and flying saucers. It's more to the whole idea of what is reality? Why are we here? What's really going on? And uh, that's, that's where I sort of ended up. But I have, uh, you know, sort of empathy for people who are, you know, scrambling around trying to, you know, pay their bills taking their kid to soccer practice and, you know, watch a couple of hours of TV at night. They really don't know. And maybe in some future life, they will be in the position that you and I are in where they will get some knowledge. And so to me, when I look at say with you, Karen, or with myself, I say that you and I are actually in a much more difficult position than people on the street. 
because if you if you go back to the Bible, it says too much is given, much is expected. Edgar Casey, the famous psychic, said, "Knowledge not used is sin." The Bible tells a story about the 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 uh, the, uh, the talents, the, the the story about the talents that the guy has the talent and he keeps it hidden. So you and I are in a much worse position than the people on the street because when you die. They're not going to cut you a break. They're not, you can't go and say, well, you know, the dog ate my homework. My mother-in-law got me upset. Hillary Clinton had her emails. And they're going to go, time out. <laughs> you knew. You knew what was going on. You, knew, you got all the answers. You got all this help from, from the outside. And you still didn't do what you were supposed to do. And that's what it comes down to is that if you have the answers, if you have the information, it is up to you and I to do what we can because we know what's at stake. The, the, the guy on the street who doesn't know, well, they may cut him a break and say, well, the guy really didn't know. You know, he's busy dealing with the empathy or love or fear or some other lower thing that they do. But you and I have all the answers, which puts us in a very difficult sort of position in terms of what are we going to do with what we've got? Absolutely. You know, you've hit the nail on the head, Grant. This is what this show is all about. It's about sharing knowledge so that others go out and share knowledge. And, you know, with yeah. podcast shows on the internet, you know, there's hundreds, thousands of them now. People are sharing knowledge. There's good ones, there's bad ones, there's interesting ones. There's, yeah. Uh, but it's really what it's about. It's about sharing what you know. And like you say, with everything that everyone listens to on the show, on this show, on any other show, you've got to listen with your heart. You've got to listen with your, not your curious mind, because your curious mind is your critical mind. It's your ego mind. Yeah. And um, when, when you hear anyone say anything, it has to sort of resonate with a truth within you and, um, you know, try to like put the curious mind or the critical mind, like just sit next to me and, and quiet down, pipe down for a bit while I listen with my knowing. And I think that, uh, yeah, that's what I, that, that, you know, that's, a key, that's a key component. Even um, Dolores Cannon used to call about that, talking about when she did the, the QHDT stuff. She used to call it Mr. Stupid, you, gotta, you know, quieten down Mr. Stupid because he's always in the way. And, and, and when I was doing this, doing this contact modality thing, that this lecture that I'm going to give in a couple of days in Los Angeles, uh, this is what it comes down to is this whole idea that it is, it's, it's a matter of the signal is there for everybody. Everybody yeah. can get the signal. But you have this ego as you define this ego uh, conscious mind that's the, the voice is chattering away and it's it's all about me and all this sort of stuff and you've got to be able to shut that off in order to get into almost the female mind the right mind shut off the me versus you separation mind and once you can quiet the noise of the of the left brain or the ego mind then you can tap into the field so and that's the the important thing that I'm trying to get across to people is and I think I explained to you before was it's not about turning things on it's about turning things off that the neurology will say oh look this piece of the brain is lighting up and it's like fine there's all sorts of pieces of the brain lighting up but the brain is not creating consciousness the, con the consciousness is creating the brain and uh, we know now I think we're almost to the point now with consciousness research where people are starting to study psychics and uh, near-death experience or people with with brain stuff and we're starting to understand this idea that, um, in like for example, psychedelics. You would think that when someone does psychedelics, that the brain would be going crazy because the person's getting all these visual images and lights and stuff. And you would yeah. think the brain is going crazy. And yeah. in fact, the brain is quiet and right down. And it's ah. completely opposite of what you think is going to go on. The same as with meditation. When with meditation, you're having visions or whatever, but 
um, it's it's the the the, paroch- uh, the um, uh, parietal lobe is actually quieting you right down, and it's it's shutting off the noise, and then you get the signal. The signal comes in, so that's where people I think um, will eventually. I think I would say maybe in the, within the next ten years, people are really going to start to understand that um, it'll be accepted that meditation actually changes your brain. This idea of brain plasticity mm-hmm. that you're that you can you can actually change that you aren't a, vi- a victim. The way the the old scientific method worked was to say you're a victim. It's a random meaningless universe. You're just a biological robot in a man- random meaningless universe, and you're uh, uh, sort of a victim of your genes. And we now know with epigenetics, no, the genes are just blueprints. They aren't turning mm-hmm. on. They aren't they aren't telling you. You are in control. You're reading the senses, and your body. Is, is able to, uh, all the cells are able to work with each other. They're able to tap in. They're able to change. They're able to adapt. And, and we're starting to understand the, the world is almost like Einstein, I think, had said. It's not only more complex than you think. It's more complex than you could ever believe. It's that kind of thing yes. where when you start looking at the real, uh, the brain or the, the cells, how cells work, that you start to understand it's, it's this unbelievably magnificent universe and there's no way this is random. This is this is yeah. um, something, and the and the people are tapping into this material, and it's very valuable material. And the the scientific community is starting to realize that people who have visions or are channeling or are intuitive or something that they're not crazy. That mm. you can now see from the brain patterns that these people are actually having this experience, and they're all the same sort of things are shutting down and stuff like that. And they'll still go back to saying, "Oh, it's brain chemistry or whatever." But we now at least have gotten to the point where you aren't crazy. Yeah, something's going on, and 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 we can actually show this. And so I think we're we're on the verge of making some breakthroughs in terms of consciousness. I remember in two, well, I had my download experience because I did the whole presidential thing, and chasing the government and what the government knew and stuff like that. And when I had this download experience in 2012, I remember um, Jerry Pippen, who's a very famous. Um, uh, interviewer, actually, he'd interviewed me numerous times. I was good friends with him. And I remember him saying to me, he said, Grant, I can't believe you've done this. I can't believe you've gone from the nuts and bolts to the woo-woo side. And I said, <laughs> well, Jerry, I'll tell you what, I, I didn't go on purpose. I was actually teleported. So in 2012, it was actually a very sort of negative thing for you to be talking about consciousness in the UFO community. In the UFO community, yeah. In the UFO community, yeah. Mm-hmm. And now you can see it. Even the MUFON conference invited me this year, the main MUFON conference, and I turned it down because I have some big deal about to happen here, but um, they, they actually invited me to do a lecture on consciousness. Now, this is the MUFON, which is the absolute nuts and bolts of the whole thing. And part of that may be because the Jan Hartson, who runs MUFON, the executive director, had these had an, an encounter when he was nine years old with a UFO 30 feet away in his backyard, and his brother saw the screen on board the ship with all the wow. environmental devastation and all this kind of stuff. They were missing time. So he knows. He knows there's this aspect that isn't really as nuts and bolts as you think it is. And the other thing that's happened in the last couple of years, if you look at these two, the stars organization, and people are always going, oh, it's disinformation, all sort of stuff. And I go, no. If you take a look at the people that are really running this operation, you'll see they're all experiencers. Jim Semivan, this very sort of famous CIA guy that's running the whole thing, had the beings in his room in the 1990s. And I was the first to make this public. I said, that's why he's doing this. 
he's trying to figure it out. Him and his wife were in there, and this being was in the room. And the next thing, you're standing on it with in his pajamas on the front lawn, watching this flying saucer take off. And and you have Gary Nolan, who's doing the the genetic and the the brain pattern stuff. Had the beings in since he was a little kid. He's a lifetime experiencer. And just recently, there's a, a book that was written called American Cosmic, which has just been released in the United States by Diane Pasolko, who's this uh, religion professor, really high-selling book. And she talks about this Tyler D, who now has sort of been outed, his real name. But here's a guy, again, who talked to me, and he's a high-level guy in NASA who uh, launched rockets, who sold a company for $100 million based upon as he told me, based upon a being standing at the end of his bed with a hood. And, and he, the morning he woke up with the idea in his head, and I said to him, I said, could you see its face? And he goes, no, I couldn't see its face. Yeah. So here's a guy acknowledging that that idea that came into his head that made him all this money and got him all these patents came from this, this whatever this figure was standing there. And he now says that, that he actually has a protocol yeah. Where he goes, he gets up, he doesn't drink coffee, he doesn't drink alcohol, he sits on his patio, he gets in the sun, he drinks water, and he says he can actually tap in and interact with these beings. Now, yeah, this is yeah. a high-level guy in the government who I is talking. So Ooh, that would I'm never just, happen, even 10 years ago, that wouldn't there's happen. There's so much I want to say here. I just want to address what you're talking about now. That hooded person, you know, I had a beautiful Barbara Jean Lindsay on my show. So she had a near-death experience years ago. She's a, yeah. She actually runs the cafe, the something cafe at the um, uh, contact in the desert where she invites all the experiences to come and share their stories. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. She's beautiful, Barbara Jean. Anyway, and she saw that hooded being without the face, right? Yeah. And they, she saw a whole group of them and they said, we are the watchers. So, you know, under her YouTube thing, there's a whole lot of comments. Oh, it's the devil, the devil, all the Christians saying, oh, the, yeah. you know, be careful with the devil. Yeah. Uh, but they said, we are the watchers. You know, we watch Earth. We watch where, like, the caretakers, like, like yeah. they're sort of like Gaia as a planetary being, like her spirit guides, like her angelic yeah. spirit guides, the watchers. And so uh, that's, you know, that's what you're talking about, the watchers. And they're always hooded and they have no face. That's what yeah. Yeah, they yeah. Like. And, and you, it becomes predictable because that's what I said to him. I said, could you see its face? Because mm -hmm. I know that everybody says, and, he's, and he would say, no, I couldn't see the face. And, and then you have a guy like that where he's just, uh, when you talk to him, he's just an average guy. People think, oh, he's a government guy. He's, you know, counter, you know, he's trying to gonna kill us all or whatever. And, and then when I talked to him, he actually, I had a phone call with him. And he actually said to me, he said, um, I, my daughter said to me, dad, can you quit talking about UFOs? You're always talking about UFOs. You quit talking about UFOs. And he said to her, he said, just remember where the Lexus came from. You know, it's the most expensive car you can buy in America. Just remember where the Lexus came from. And then he said, she sort of backed off. And so you have this situation where this guy who's got this direct contact, who's made millions of dollars from all these things that have been downloaded into his head. Even his family doesn't believe. And people yeah. think they'll come to me and they'll say, oh, my, my husband and my wife doesn't believe. And I always say, I think that's part of the pattern because people want the good Ooh. stuff. We just, want, we just okay. want the good stuff. We want everybody to believe us, whatever. And you don't realize that the, it's, the, 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 sort of the, um, it's, it's good and bad that the things that are happening that are, that are against you, it's almost like lifting weights, the oh. stress, that kind of stuff where that's what makes you grow is that kind of thing. 
you know, this is such, it's just social conditioning. It's social programming. My daughter is one of these earth hippies, a tree hugging, you know, yeah. meditating, drumming person. And, but she says the same thing to me. Oh, mom, you're always talking about UFOs, you know, not UFOs, but ETs. Yeah. You're always talking about aliens. You're always talking about, you know, as like I'm crazy. And, yeah. uh, and she doesn't need to fit in with the mainstream because she's got her like little conscious tribe, right? But she yeah. still thinks that talking about aliens and ETs is just, shit crazy right and this yeah. is the programming somehow i sort of think about like how did this become such a collective consciousness that if you actually mention ets or aliens in any way shape or form you're immediately um you know judged yeah. as crazy stupid that's a programming like that has been some collective programming in the in the in the collective mind and uh because it doesn't really make sense because when you think about, when you just look up into the sky, you know, like how could we be yeah. alone in the universe? It's yeah. so silly. I think people, like you do have that division between the consciousness people and the UFO people. The people, UFO people don't want anything to do with the consciousness people and the consciousness people are in their own little sort of world. And that was the, the thing that now I'm trying to get across in this latest lecture is, I don't know if you, you've interviewed Ray Hernandez from the Free Foundation where they they've done 6,000 experiences. So they're talking to a lot of people who've had maybe not UFO experiences, some sort of, uh, you know, enlightenment experience or whatever. And it's, they have all these patterns. So it's 6,000 people, they fill out 500 or whatever questions. And you see the synchronicity of what happened with him that he had an experience or his wife has an experience where his dog gets healed. He, he, she's yelling, the dog is paralyzed, it's 15 years old, they're going to put it down later in the day, he, and she takes it to, to take it to the bathroom, it's paralyzed, and then she's praying, and she thinks it's, it's, it's Jesus, it's God, she's praying, please uh, save my dog, and all of a sudden, this light starts to flash in the living room and stuff like that, and she sees it even today, she just, well, I talked to her with him, and he said, tell, tell her about the, what happened in the thing. She says, oh, you guys, you talk too much about UFOs. And she just walked away from us. And to her, it's all Jesus and it's God. And so Ray has the experience after he talks to me. He comes to a conference where I'm speaking about consciousness. And then he goes back and he has an out-of-body experience in Miami on the freeway. The traffic is stopped. He says the next thing he knows, he's out of his body. And the, some sort of beings are showing him images. It's sort of a wheel. And the wheel is spinning and these images are all these images. And it has... One is near-death experience. One is quantum physics. One is um, UFOs. One is all these different things. And the middle is consciousness. And they basically say, this is your thing. You have to tell everybody that it's all connected to consciousness in the middle. It's all the same thing. And that's this idea about parsing. That what you do is, is because the ego gets involved. It's like, this is my world. I'm a UFO guy. And you're just a, you know, you're a channeler. You're an intuitive, whatever. And everybody has these little, puts it into little nouns. Yeah, I'm separate from you and what you got to realize is that we're all together it's all the same thing and that's where this contact modality thing comes where I get into is that I go through 75 different contact modalities and I can absolutely guarantee you it's all the same thing just people want to parse it they want to separate it and say I'm different from you I'm, you're, you're a crazy guy or the UFO people are crazy or the consciousness people are crazy and the ego gets in the way and that's where you get off track is you, you start going down your little thing. You get your little religion. I'm the Messiah. You get your followers. And, and that's the way it works. Everybody wants a yeah. vision thing yeah. instead yeah. of understanding what I think the main message of the ETs, of the 
uh, spirits, of near-death experiences, it's all the same message. Yeah. It's the message of oh, oneness. Great. You have to realize it's all connected. It's all one yeah. and that love is the basis of the universe. There is no darkness. There is only light. Darkness is not a thing unto itself. Darkness is just the absence of light. Fear is the absence of love. You only have love. You have light. And it's all connected. It's all one. And that if you can have a like a, a psychedelic experience, you pop out into that world and you go, my ego is gone. You you become your ego's dying. You, you you freak out. Your ego's dying, and you suddenly go, oh, it's all connected. It's all alive. It's all conscious, and it's all one thing. But if you haven't had that experience, then you get into this world where you you're following somebody. You have some religious leader you're following or some guru you're following, whatever. And you go into that thing instead of thinking for yourself and making that contact yourself into the field, you allow someone else to do, to do the thinking for you, mm. whatever the message is, you tell me what the message is from God and, and we'll all follow you. And that's where people get sort of separated into these little camps. And then we're all, we're no different than non-religious or non spiritual people where it's 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 the the capitalists versus the communists versus the you know all these different groups and everybody's into this ego thing of, re, of thinking that we're separate when the message is absolutely i know the ufo message for sure because that there's actually the number one question they asked the people what do you think's going on what do you think their message is and most of the people said i really don't know okay but i think it has to do with oneness and love oneness that was the love. number one answer Okay. Okay. Well, this is what we're going to get into. Um, there's so many places we, we could go. Uh, it's yeah. all music, isn't it? Like we're going to, I want to talk about the music industry because here's the thing. So I'm very into conscious music and then there's the, like the, the healers, the energy healers in Australia and the Kirtan groups and the near death experiences and the seeker, you know, spiritual seekers. And they're all sort of in their little groups. Like, and I just see it all. I've always seen it all as one. I, oh, I see it all as one and I want to marry them all. You know, I just want to get them all together and say like, let's party together. So it's yeah. all like music, but there's just different songs, isn't there? It's like rock music <laughs> and classical music. You know, there's all these different people listening, but it's all music. So I want to say to people, I didn't finish going through your books, that if you do want to grab Grant's books, he's got amazing books, Alien Bedtime Stories, Morning Worlds, Channeled Reflections of Higher Dimensions with Desda, Bar, what is it, Barnaid? Is that how you say her? Uh, Barnaby. Des Desta. Irish. Desta, Desta Barnaby. Barnaby. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Barnaby. Uh, I mean, from have, Ireland. Uh, I'll have all your books on my website with the affiliate <laughs> link if people want to buy Grant's books and, and contribute to the show. But we, I want to talk about the music industry because yeah. this is um, this is just too great. Uh, you know, I saw you speak about this on another show, and I just thought this is just too great because I was mm -hmm. running Soul Traveler Radio for a while and uploading a lot of conscious music, and I really feel that music is such a powerful, powerful tool. I mean, we all remember as kids having our favorite song and then we hear it today, it just transports us back to that time. It's such a powerful. And uh, conscious musicians today are being deliberate in putting their message in the music. But when we look back in history, as you've discovered, it's always been there. So let's talk about it. Uh, yeah. uh, how did you discover this? So you're a research well, guy. You're thinking about UFOs and politicians, and then what happens? Okay, that, that's the important part of it is that I'm not musical. I, I'm, <laughs> I don't listen to music. Uh, my family is very musical. My mother was a church organist for 40 years. My father built theater organs. Uh, my sisters played in a religious uh, band that sort of toured around. and, and uh, But me, I was like, they put me in 
piano lessons for a couple of months and then said, well, this is a waste of time and pulled them out. And, and so I, I'm a talk radio guy. I used to be. Now I listen to just uh, UFO um, uh, podcasts and stuff like that. That's all I really listen to. And so that was the, that's the key part is that I'm bringing the message about the music and I'm not a music guy. So what happens is I had come to the conclusion after 2012 that the people you got to talk to is the experiencers. And one of the key experiencers in the world that I managed to interact with had a couple of very bizarre encounters with him is a guy by the name of Chris Bledsoe. Now Warner brothers was actually going to do an $80 million movie. Uh, um, uh, the guy who did the movie Signs. Um, anyway, he, he was going to do oh, the movie. Oh, oh, the Australian actor. Um, what's his name? The, the, uh, he was actually born in New Zealand. He, the producer. He did uh, Passion of the Christ as well. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. He's an actor as well as a producer. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mel Gibson. So, Mel Gibson. Mel, Mel Gibson had heard about the story. And Mel Gibson was going to have Julia Roberts play... The, the religion professor that finds him in, and he said, I'd like to play Chris Blatzel. So this is, this is a big story. This is a, it, one of the most incredible experiences story, high level contact, uh, angels, aliens, anything you can think of is in this story. It's just really bizarre. I got to know this guy and I had this very bizarre experience with dogs, which if you want to get, I can tell this bizarre story with the dogs in his house, but it was the most, one of the most bizarre things that ever happened to me. And so because I was around him and I could see him healing people, he heals people and stuff like that. And he, he phoned me up one day and he said, I got a message from the Guardians. Now, he has this awakening experience in 2007. He has a near-death experience at, at nine years old where he gets shot in the back with a shotgun. And he goes down on the ground and next thing he's in outer space. Right. And he, he's standing on a platform in outer space at nine years old. And then he has a second near-death experience just before his major event in 2007. He's got chronic Crohn's disease. He has this UFO experience. He never takes a Crohn's pill again. He's completely cured of Crohn's disease. NASA's coming in. The president of the United States, I believe, knew who he was. They were contacted. CIA, Defense Department, Air Force, everybody. And why does this guy have this high-level contact? So this is the guy that phones me. And he had the people that he was interacting with he called them the guardians in 2007. They're like tall beings, about seven feet tall. If you see the, the crop circle that happened at, um, in 2002, there's an alien in the field that's got this disc. Mm -hmm. that's, his, that's called the guardians. That's exactly right. what they look like. That's mm -hmm. his being. And he drew them before, uh, uh, separately from, from that. Anyway, so he says, I've got a message to you from the guardians. And I said, you got a message from the aliens for me? He said, yeah, I got a message. They want you to, they want, they want Grant to know the messages in the music. And so I said to him, I said, well, Chris, uh, you may be talking to the wrong guy because <laughs> I don't listen to music, Chris. <laughs> I don't play an instrument, Chris. I've never listened to music. I don't care about music. And he keeps talking. And he says, well, he says, he tells me this story about these, these, album these these discs that appear in his truck just mysteriously appear in his truck and he said well i think you should listen to cashmere by led zeppelin mm -hmm. and i go whatever you know and i still even years later i had not listened to cashmere and he actually put it on the facebook he said grant could you please listen to cashmere and it's like you know like i don't care you know it's kind of an interesting i've listened to the beginning of it but he, he said you listen to cashmere by led zeppelin and they said whatever chris and then he says to me here's how they drag you down the rabbit hole because i say that nothing happened to me happened that I chose to do it. I got dragged into the story. 
Well, let's so, just define that. Your ego might not have chosen it, but your higher self did. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If it, yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's, that's a yeah. download that I had I can get into, but I had a download that, that says, is the, is the, you got to get it right. Is the universe made out of consciousness or nuts and bolts? Is it random or is it self-organizing or is it one life or is it multiple lives? Because if it's one life, it's one world. If it's multiple lives, everything changes. So that the whole idea, yeah, your higher self that you, that's the whole thing about you come in and all you have to worry about is why did I come into this world? I must've chosen to do something. And when I come out, they're going to ask you one question. How did it work out? Because you planned it. Mm -hmm. You did the whole thing. You can't, that's why you can't blame anybody else. You planned this whole thing. So yes, it, my higher self would have said yes. But I, at the, at the time I'm going like, what are you talking about this stupid music stuff for? It's just like crazy stuff. And then he, but here's how it happens. Then he says, and the other song you should listen to is after the gold rush by Neil Young. And I went, Neil Young, are you kidding? Neil Young is involved in this thing. And he goes, yeah, Neil Young. I think so. I'm pretty sure. Neil Young. I live in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. We have a joke here. Not even people in Canada wanted to go to Winnipeg, Manitoba. It's like the coldest major city in the world. Nobody comes here, but Neil Young grew up in Winnipeg. He's one of the most famous musicians. We have a lot of famous musicians that came out of this place. Neil Young was one. So I said, Neil Young is involved in this thing? And he goes, yeah. And I go, oh, okay. And so I hang up the phone and I go and start looking at this song called After the Gold Rush. And when you see the lyrics, it's the experiencer lyrics. It's the whole, the whole okay. deal about... I have got the lyrics right in front of me. Okay. I just want to, I'm just going to read a couple from Kashmir. Okay. Uh, With the stars to fill my dreams, I am a traveler of both time and space to be where I have been, to sit with the elders of a gentle race this world has seldom seen, who talks of days for which they sit and wait when all will be revealed. Wow. That's and and they, they, they questioned Led, Led Zeppelin about that as well. They'd never been to Kashmir. And they kept asking them, why would you write about a song about Kashmir? You've never been there. So even it was a puzzling story, even if you don't believe that part of the story, about where these lyrics for Kashmir and why they did this song, because they'd never been there. You know, he and, says here, Mama, Mama cares, ain't too dying. Ooh, ooh, yes, I've been flying. My mama ain't no Den Devon, don't know what that means. No Devon, no, I don't know what they're rabbing on about. But let's have a look at um, and they go on the words in after the gold rush. Yeah, the last uh, part of the and the well, bombed out basement. Start with the bombed out basement. I'm living in a bombed out basement. Oh God, where's that? Okay, well the last one is like, well I dreamed I saw a silver spaceship flying in the yellow haze of the sun. There were children crying and colours flying all around the chosen ones, all chosen. in a dream, all in a dream, the loading has begun. The, the loading had begun. They started loading yeah. the ships. Yeah. Where we were flying Mother Nature's silver seeds to a new home in the sun, flying Mother Nature's silver seeds. In the but uh, it says at the top here, well, I dreamed I saw the nights and I'm night. Look at Mother Nature. On the run. On the run. In yeah. nineteen in the nineteen seventies, and they say that a few times. Look at Mother Nature on the run. I was yeah. flying and, in a bird basement the, with the full moon in my eyes. I was hopping for a hoping hoping for a replacement when the sun burst through the skies. There was a band playing in my head, and I felt like getting high, thinking about what a friend had said. I was hoping it was a lie. So they're talking about the rapture and. 
Yeah, go yeah. on. And, and, and there's a couple of significant things in there. For example, the chosen ones is, if you ever interviewed Yvonne Smith, that's what she calls the experiencers. She wrote a book called The Chosen, The Chosen Ones that, that, that have been chosen. And, and when, I, when, I, when I got that, that lyric, it was the, the, the rapture thing that 39% of all people who claim to have been on the flying saucer will talk about the screen. Like I'll always ask them, did you see the screen? And they'll go, yeah, I saw the screen. And, and say, well, what was the screen? Was it on the wall? And they said, no, it was a 3D thing. And they were showing me this environmental devastation of the world. And I think they were testing my emotions and people have these, but they all remember the screen. This, this, or yeah. even if you, if you interviewed um, um, Susie Hansen, she tells a bizarre story yeah. about what's called rapid image cycling. Yeah. And the aliens use this. And she's in the, ba they, take her, they take these people down to a, a big sort of a theater and there's, she said 200 to 250 people in this theater and they're sitting there and the being is standing there up on the stage and all of a sudden there's a, a, an environmental image on the screen and another one and another one and another one and another one and another one, another one, another one, another one. and she said and suddenly there was like a hundred at a time on the screen and they had taught us how to do it. it. If you see it, there's a healing method called the Bankston method, which I was trained. And it's exactly the same method. You memorize 20 images and they teach you to flip a thousand images in your head at the same time. And what you do is it shuts down the ego mind. So it has to be ego images. It has to be images about, I want a new car. It's going to be blue. It's going to have this motorhome, And I have this new house and it's going to have this. And you think about it. And so you take these images, these ego images, and you flip them in your head at a very rapid rate. And the ego goes, oh, that's cool. And, and you send the ego for, for coffee. And, and as Bankston said, you get the healer out of the way and, and, the, and the heat comes out of your left hand, which is your right brain, through your right, left, left hand, so that you had these, these ego images. And, and so the whole thing with, with after the goal rush was this environmental message. And then when I started to investigate this, it was just so bizarre. The Kashmir thing, if you look at the Kashmir song, it's used in a movie called John, um, Carter, something Carter, John Carter, and it's a UFO movie, and it's they play Kashmir in the lead to that movie, and the other movie they used was um, uh, the X Men. It's in that movie as well. So these people don't know this whole thing about this UFO connection to Kashmir, and it's in these UFO movies, and it's just bizarre when you see that. And the other thing was, when I got the the um, there was always a story about was. Um, Neil Young, an experiencer. He, mm -hmm. was, he was very bizarre, had sort of very sort of environmental. He's come up to Canada to try to stop the, the oil sands project in Alberta and stuff like that. But what I started to realize is how many experiencers have sung the song. There's Patti Smith, mm -hmm. who was the first one famous for being the first woman ever to sing on the show Saturday Night Live in, in New York. She sang the song Gloria, G-L-O-R-I-A, Gloria. Mm -hmm. And she's an experiencer. She actually says, as do a number of musicians, that she's not from around here. She actually believes she was dropped on earth. Yep. And she wrote two albums in 1975, 1976. She starts singing after the Goalish, and she changes that line in the 1970s. She changes in the, in the 20th century. She changes it, talking about the fact that we're destroying the world. Yep. Then there was um, Thom York is an, a definite experiencer. He wrote this song about traveling down a road and suddenly he, he hit a pheasant and he got out of the thing 
and suddenly he started thinking about alien abduction. He wrote all sorts of UFO songs about abduction, about all this kind of stuff. He started singing after the gold rush. And I've got a list of maybe about six or seven ex definite experiencers, people who don't even know why they're singing the song, that were singing Neil Young's song after the gold rush. And I'm thinking, like, what's the chances that all these people all redoing after the gold rush it's almost like they they resonate with the song or they have to sing it stuff like that so you get these bizarre synchronicities that happen started happening around this and i just became sort of fascinated with this whole this whole deal about the message and started to realize that so many so many musicians are experiencers and so many like this patty smith thing i was mentioning that i i have a whole chapter in the book where i talk about the number of musicians that believe that they're from another planet. And the biggest one was John Denver. John Denver sold 54 million albums in the United States. And he sang a song, which was, it was called, um, in, no, it was called Spirit. And it was released after he died. He had died in this plane crash. Right. And he was released after he died. But in there, he talks about these stars in the planet, in the, in the constellation Lyra. And he would say publicly, I always think about, you know, what it would be like to live on Lyra or something like that. And the guy who wrote the lyrics for Spirit says he did not just believe, he believed he was from the Constellation Lyra. He actually right. believed it. And I go through maybe a dozen musicians, top musicians, and they were all musicians that were sort of the lead at their field. Like one of the top first jazz guys was Sun Ra. He believed he was another planet. The guy who started reggae music, the guy who was the producer for Bob Marley, believed he was from another planet. The, the, the John Denver did this country rock thing. He was famous for starting country rock. So the, all these people were sort of the primary people in a certain type of music that came along. And you started getting these bizarre things and it became more and more and more bizarre how there was this connection to very famous rockers. And then as you sort of mentioned, hinted at before, people would say to me, ah, it's musicians, gone. they do drugs, they're crazy, all this sort of stuff. And I'm thinking, well, well, my mother's a musician. I wonder if, uh, so I started looking at Handel, Bach, mm -hmm. all the, the, the church music. Mm -hmm. And I realized it was exactly the same thing. But instead of saying it was aliens, they would say it was God. There was even the famous story told about Beethoven. Beethoven had done this symphony. And there was a, a, a piece for a left-handed violin in this, in this symphony. And the guy who had to play it came up to Beethoven and he said, you know, that left-handed thing that you played, that thing is horrible. It's, it's so bad, it's almost unplayable. And Beethoven says, I just, want to, I just want to let you know that when I wrote that, I was communing with God. And do you think I had time to worry about your little puny violin piece? And as, so they had this idea. And it, was, it was different. And it came to this idea about inspiration, that you're tapping into the field. And you may have a different impression of what it is, because now we're into the space age you may be sort of manifesting as, 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 um, as, as aliens. Whereas like Chris Bledsoe starts with these tall seven foot bluish green beings. And then he encounters almost like the mother Mary. He encounters, encounters this woman who says to him, Chris, you have a burden and it is yours to carry. Cause he hadn't talked about his experience. He was in a very religious environment in right. his city. Nobody would talk to him. His wife locked him up. His in-laws mm -hmm. still won't talk to him years right. later. It's still, think he's dealing with the devil. Right, and so yeah. mm -hmm. uh, he has this experience with the aliens or the, the, this mother Mary figure who says, you've got a burden and it is yours to carry. I said, do you know what the burden is? He says, 
Yeah, the burden is the message. So he has this message that he's supposed to bring to the world. And so I, I, the more I got into the music thing, the more I realized like, wow, there was this sort of a connection thing that musicians, for whatever reason, now I sort of understand what it is. The musicians are very right-brained. They're not very left-brained. A lot of them can't even read or write music. The Beatles, the Stones, uh, John Denver, lots of them couldn't read or write music. Uh, you know, and the whole thing is that they're, they're sitting there waiting for an inspiration and it comes to them and they're able to dissociate. They're able to shut down Mr. Stupid, the ego <laughs> mind, and they're able to go into the field. And, and a lot of them, I started to realize, had actually um, started to realize this. For example, um, John Lennon had kept a book and a lot of them had the same thing. They kept a book beside their bed because they knew in the middle of the night they could get these songs. Right. And so John Lennon had that and the, the famous song from uh, um, the Rolling Stones, uh, No Satisfaction. Yeah. That actually came. That's how that song came was that Richards was in, in, in Florida and he had a tape recorder by his bed in case something would happen in the middle of the night and he would just sing it into the, the tape recorder. And he woke up in the morning and he looked at the tape recorder and it had gone to the end. And he said, I wonder what happened. So he plays the tape back and then he gets halfway through the, the, the tape and suddenly he's awake and he's singing the, the riff for Ain't Got No Satisfaction. And then he sings it and then next thing he's snoring. And, and the, the tape goes on and he's snoring. He's got back to sleep. And he, if it hadn't been for the tape recorder being at the end, he never would have played the tape. So you started getting these things. And I realized that these musicians were getting, and some of the most famous songs of all times came that way. Yeah. That I realized that they were tapping into the field and they could tap into the field. For example, Yesterday, the, the most produced song of the 20th century by Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney's had three of these songs that came to him. Satisfaction was one. He said he woke up in the middle of the night and this song is in his head and there's a piano in the room. He quickly got the chords on the piano and he wrote it down. And then for a month or something, he walked around to people and he played this song. And he said, you ever heard this song? Because he was sure somebody had played this song. And mm -hmm. he said, no, I've never heard that song before. And he produces that. And then he has a song called No Regrets where he's, he's sleeping and he's playing with the Rolling Stones. And then he wakes up and he goes, man, that was a fantastic song. The Rolling Stones were playing. And then he goes, never played that song. And he composes a song called no regrets and he said he wouldn't tell keith richards because he figured keith richards would want royalties on the song <laughs> and then the other one he has is probably the most famous song of all times is is, is let it be absolutely and the beatles are breaking up he's on drugs he's got a drug problem yoko ono has come into the, the beatles they all hate yoko ono mm. uh or um uh what's his name has already left uh harris is already paul Har uh, harrison has already left and he has this dream, and his mother, who died when he was 14 years old from cancer, whose name was Mary, comes to him, and she says, Paul, it'll be okay. Let it be. And he, so he sings the lyrics. When in times of trouble, Mother Mary yeah, comes, to, comes me, to me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be, let it be. And that's for the song. And so you start realizing these songs you think you hear the song and you play it in your head and you sing it. You don't I, realize. I, I want to, you know, I want to verify that with you because years ago, my daughter went to school with the drummer from In Excess's daughter, right? Okay. And so we were at her 18th birthday party probably about 10 years ago now. And then the kids were all having a good time and the parents were all talking and I'm talking to him. 
and he was telling me exactly that story. He said, everyone thinks that he's talking about Mother Mary as in Jesus' mother, but it yeah. was talking about his mother because he had a dream. His mother came to him and told him. He told me exactly that story. So yeah. Yeah. that's verification and, for that story because I heard that 10 years ago from a rock star. Yeah, so. Yeah, and he's actually, I think he's actually done it now on tape. He's actually told the story on tape, on, on videotape. Oh, and, it's, and it's fascinating to hear him. And I started to realize there was this pattern. So one of the appendixes I put in the book is songs that came in dreams. Yeah. And I have, I think, about 150 songs, and they are some of the most famous songs of all times. And, and I always tell people, like, you still get the thing about the devil. Ah, it's the devil. Yeah, it's the devil. And I say, well, you know, if it's a devil, be careful what you wish for. Because <laughs> the Battle Hymn of the Republic, which is the most, most famous songs in the United States, very patriotic song, came in that method. So if the devil is creating uh, the good music, the bad music, they're always creating the good. And the old little town of Bethlehem, the famous song came the same way. The guy had to come up with these lyrics in the middle of the night. This thing's coming into his head and stuff like that. It's the same thing. It's the same process that they're tapping into this. So it's, it's whatever you, you get in. Or I do songs where they came in uh, under 10 minutes. So uh, Sting from the Police, one of the most... I think he was making $2,000 a day for playing rights on this song. And I can never remember the name of the song, but he said, I woke up and it was there. He said, five minutes, 10 minutes tops. That was it. I had the song down, no changes, nothing. And so the songs that come in these dreams are not the B side songs. They're some of the most famous songs that people have ever thought, but they just don't know where the songs come from. Or we have the one, the most famous song that came in Canada was by the, we had, um, uh, the, the the band called the Guess Who, who in nineteen the late nineteen sixties was outselling the Beatles in Canada, very famous. And the most famous song they ever sang was called "American Woman." This is the one where uh, uh, President Nixon stopped it from being played in the White House. His wife wanted them to come. They were at the White House. She wanted them to play "American Woman," and he didn't want them to play "American Woman" in the White House. So it's this famous song about you know "American Woman, stay away from me." And the way the song comes is there in Mississauga, Ontario, which is outside of Toronto, is 1968. They're playing, and Bachman, who's like, there's, uh, uh, Burton Cummings is the lead. Bachman is the second in command. Bachman breaks a string. So Burton Cummings goes behind stage, and he's buying some records from some guy in behind the stage. And then all of a sudden, Bachman's got his uh, string ready, and you can hear. He says, I'll get the records later. I got to go. They're starting the second set. He goes running up on the set and Bachman is playing the riff from American Woman. And he goes, sing something, sing something. And he starts singing, American Woman, stay away from me. And, and he play, they play the whole song. And they, they, there's a kid in the front. It's 1968. And he's got a handheld tape recorder. They've just come out. He's holding his tape recorder up and he's taping the thing. And they realize he's going to bootleg the show. So they go to the manager and they say, the kid's going to bootleg the show, get the tape. So they get the tape. And after, this, after the whole thing, they got the tape recorder and they're playing the tape. And here's this first song in the second set, American Woman. And they all look at each other and go, where'd that come from? They didn't compose it. Nobody remembered singing it. And they said, if it had not been for the kid with the tape recorder, the song would not have existed because nobody even knew they even sang the song. Nobody composed it, nothing. So you get those kind of stories where you're going like, wow. I mean, just... Now, Grant, and you said you weren't musical. I think it's a bit of a riff there. You're doing well. <laughs> now, yeah. um, is there a message in American Woman? Is there a message in that song? Well, I think a lot of it. I used to think about that. Sometimes it's the, sometimes it's the, um, um, 
the lyrics, but sometimes it's the, the rhythm. It's mm -hmm. almost like the, 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 the beat. Because in one of the things I do in the, in the contact modalities, there's one of the things that's very surprising. There's University of Pennsylvania doing research where you get this type of thing. John Burroughs, who was the famous guy at the Reynolds from Forest, you know this story of Reynolds from Forest. He has the experience. He's an experiencer. He's probably been abducted. They want to do his DNA. The CIA, and they, they, they're testing these people for DNA. So they want to do his DNA. He finally agrees to give the, the, the government his DNA to do this test on experiencers. And it comes back, and they tell him, you're completely, your DNA is completely uh, North American Indian, and your son has no background whatsoever. There's no traces of any sort of background in your son's DNA. So that's it's kind of a weird story. But anyway, the guy says to him, Kit Green, who's the guy who's working on the mine thing for the experiencers, who ran the remote viewing program for the CIA in the 1970s, who's now working with experiencers, says to him, and I don't remember the exact type, but you should do this type of yoga and this type of meditation. Now, I don't remember specific types of meditation and yoga. University of Pennsylvania has done research, and they talk about this thing where you take an active and a, and a, and a, a excited calm, excited calm, and you run them at the same time, almost like when you do, you do drumming, slow drumming and dancing. You're doing the same things at the same time. And what they say is that what that does is it shuts down the temporal and parahippal, no, the temporal and parial lobes shut down and it gives you the oneness experience. And it's by doing these two things at the same time. So it was significant that this guy was told to do this, this type of thing. So I think in a lot of the music thing, a lot of it is that kind of thing. You don't really know what, what, what's going on. Almost like when you see music. I remember my son used to listen to the, like the rap music. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, what are you listening to that stuff for? How can you listen to that stuff? And, and what it comes down to is that I thought my, my parent listened to jazz. And I thought, this is horrible. I used to, my father would drive me nuts. He was playing jazz all day long. And I hated it. I've always still hated it. And then I was into the rock. And then my kid's into this rap music. And every generation thinks their music is the, 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 the best music ever. And that their parents' music is absolutely insane. So it, it must have something to do with the... Uh, the, the sort of the generation where it's the it's the the beat it's the it's coming through that way it's sort of a meditation type thing because in terms of like shamanic stuff where you're doing drumming and you're doing dancing there's no lyrics there either but this is where you you're, you people get driven into sort of ecstasy and they have enlightenment and they have uh, mystical experiences and so I think a lot of it may have to do with the sort of the the beat of the music or the the tempo of the music. Yeah, brainwave coherence I mean yeah, that's the beauty of the music that's why I thought that the conscious music um, industry is such a powerful movement in the consciousness movement I mean there's lots of people yapping on YouTube like you and I but you know the, there's just so many beautiful singers out there now uh, Narco Bear Medicine for the People, Xavier Rudd um, oh, there's just so many out there putting the words with the with the beat, you know, and yeah. and having that brainwave coherence. Because um, if you do listen to the words, you know, you're engaging that sort of logical brain, that yeah. that left brain. And if you're like like listening to the music, you're engaging the left brain or the right brain. Hang on, yeah. the, at the other side of the brain. And um, yeah. 
you know, I've been shown and I've been told and it's been on all over YouTube that the higher frequency, higher dimensional beings, call them aliens or ETs, yeah. they have that complete brainwave coherence. They don't actually have two lobes yeah. of their brain. They have yeah. only one lobe, which works simultaneously. Yeah. Whereas as, as humans, we've got these two lobes to the brain uh, yeah. that connect it, but kind of... We don't they're have fighting. They're actually, yeah. The research was actually done when they did the split brain stuff with the epilepsy. Is that the, the brains actually fight with each other? That they 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 actually they had this thing where one puts a cigarette in its mouth and then the other one takes a cigarette out and throws it away and then lights out and the other one, and they're fighting the fighting for the door handle and stuff like this. Where the the one is like just the skeptical, rational, analytical brain, and the other one is like the spiritual brain. And these two are are fighting when when you cut the corpus callosum between the the two brains. So you see this this um, sort of bizarre thing, and that's when I, I got into the thing about the fact that there's something else going on there besides the words. And some of them, you even get some where they're very direct. Um, there's a guy, his name is uh, Stuart. Stuart. A anyway, he, he was in Great Britain. One of the most bizarre stories of download of, of music. He's 1975, same time I had my experience. This, this happens. He has his son, his first, firstborn son. He has a girl already, but his firstborn son, his name is Ben. And his son is, dies at birth. And his wife is in the hospital. She almost dies as well. So his wife's in the hospital, and he buries his little son in a little shoebox the next day. His wife's not there. Buries him. And then he's devastated. He goes to, goes to sleep. And this is where this thing about, um, where I talk about sometimes trauma. Mm -hmm. People have near-death experiences or they have accidents or something and suddenly they become psychic. Suddenly they, they, they get mystical and experiences and stuff like that. He buries his son and that night he goes to sleep and hears this voice. And the voice says, sometimes when this happens, we give the person a gift. And he starts hearing this music. And you can go on the internet, it's called the Angeli Symphony. And he hears this music in his head. And he's listening to this and he wakes up and he knows he has to compose the symphony. He's like me, never played an instrument, no interest in music, whatever. And he says to his wife, he said, I got this song. They told me this is a gift. I have to compose the symphony. I'm going to London. I'm going to compose a symphony. He says, no, you're not. Forget it. You're not going there. You've got a kid. You've got whatever. And he says, no, I think I've got to go. He said, in six months, I'm going to London. I've got to compose a symphony. I have to do it. And it's still in his head. And six months later, nobody believes him. He walks out of the house and he drives to London. And his, his wife actually divorces him. He, oh. he drives to London. And he said, I go, to, I go sit in a, in a parking lot. And he says, I'm waiting for the next instructions. Yeah. And there was no instructions. Yeah. And so he waited and waited. And next thing you know, he's homeless. And he's on the street. He has nothing. He goes to a homeless shelter. And he manages to buy a guitar for about, he gets him to sell it at a half price or whatever. So he gets this guitar. He starts to try to learn to play the guitar. He's sitting on the street. He runs into a guy who plays jazz. And he tells the guy, you got to help me. i got this symphony in my head. And I've got to play it. So the guy helps him put this on paper. And then he goes and he's gonna, he wants the London Philharmonic Orchestra to play. Now, he's already spent years doing this. And he goes to the London Philharmonic Orchestra and, and to somebody. And they say, you can't do this. They're not going to play your thing. you got to score this thing. It's got to be done. It's going to cost you a million pounds. And he goes, oh, okay. And he leaves. This takes 20 years. He goes through this 20-year process. He gets it all scored. He gets it all done. 
He goes and then they say, you need another pile of money. He goes and gets that pile of money for something else he's got to do. He goes, the London Philharmonic Orchestra has played it one time. It's on the internet. You can hear this Angeli Symphony. They play it one time. They said it was the only time the London Philharmonic Orchestra ever stood up and applauded the composer. And, he, and then he, he said he actually took this. And it's a beautiful, beautiful symphony. He actually takes it. He mails it to his wife, who's now married to somebody else. And he said, here's the, here's the song. And, she, and, and he's really scared. She phones him back and she said, Stuart? I listened to your symphony. I played it full blast with the windows open and it is absolutely beautiful. And they're now composing a movie in Hollywood about this story, about this guy, 20 years. I feel like I've already seen that movie or heard about it. I feel like it's already a movie. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Um, It's it's an incredible story that he tells. I mean, he he agreed to an interview with me, but he didn't want me to switch it. He did. He did. It's the old thing with Chris Bledsoe. Chris Bledsoe turned down this $80 million uh, thing from Hollywood from, from doing Warner Brothers because they, wanted, they wouldn't give him control at the end of the movie. And he wanted to be called the message. And it had to be the message that the angel, this, this he called it the shining lady, the lady of light, had given him this message for the world. And they were, they'd said, no, we can't give you control of the movie. We'll pay you all this money, but you don't have to control the end of the movie. And, he's, and he just basically said no. And at one point, he turns down $200 million of production money. And I, and I said to him, I, I said, you did? And he said, now, Grant, there's a decision I had to make. And that's the thing. It comes down to this, what is the message? I'm not going to settle. I'm not going to sell out. And he actually lost his house. His mother co-signed for a, for a second mortgage on, this, on the adjoining property. And, and his father had died. And she didn't maintain it. Next thing, he came to his house. And they seized his house. He has no house. He lost his house. And yet, he would not sell out. For this movie so you get these kind of things where the, these backstories of of incredible uh, people getting downloads and inspiration getting and and they, okay. they yeah go ahead we're, we're we're getting the message in the music are we listening to the message so this is it you know like so um some of the people that have been giving the message in the music i think you said olivia newton john she had a, she was a contactee too when she was young yeah, right she had a very dramatic experience at 15 years old in um in, in australia um there the one let me look at let me quickly i've got it, i think i've got it here um the other one was connie mitchell do you, do you know who she is she's supposedly a uh big australian i'll 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 read you her her story it's just a, a couple of minutes a couple of seconds here i was putting washing out on the line putting my underwear out to dry which should only take five minutes right i remember looking at my watch because it took i took it off before i put my hand in the washing machine to take out the wet clothes when it came when it came back in uh people said where you been I didn't understand what was going on until I saw the time. It was 45 minutes later. Uh, that's a long time to be hanging out my underwear. So mm-hmm. she goes, to, she tells this whole story about the fact that she's basically um, been on board. She's an experiencer. And you get this over and over again by these, these musicians. And some of them have the message. And some of them, it's just um, they know something's happened. Uh, there's the guy, um, um, what, what was his name? Um, from a very famous band in America in the, in the 1980s. And he's, he talked about the aliens and you'll hear experiences talk about this where they're tapping in. Like he said, they were 13 miles away and they had this thing in his head 
Like they were tapping into his head and he thought they were taking stuff out of his brain, whereas they were probably putting stuff in his brain. And um, he said that as soon as he was waking up, he heard these numbers, all these numbers. And they said, he's waking up, he's waking up. And he just, and it just disappeared. And that guy, he's, he's a very famous musician, sold millions of albums. Or you get people like um, the, the, the Moody Blues. That's where you get into the multiple live things. I've got three bands. One is from Canada. The Moody Blues was from Britain. And there's a Scottish band where the entire band was taken. And the Moody Blues story is that they were on a, they were playing in Manchester, England. They were driving back at like two o'clock in the morning into London. And Mike Pinder, who was the lead guitar, or the lead for the, for the Moody Blues, and Moody Blues sold like 70 million albums or something. They're not a small mm -hmm. band. Mm -hmm. And so they, and everybody that is in the UFO community always, like I was in music, but everybody's like, Moody Blues, I used to listen to Moody Blues all the time. It's like the UFO music. People are always listening to it. So he said he saw this red light, and then he said, what's that? And they're looking and thinking, oh, it's a tower light. And then they stopped, and the thing landed across the motorway uh, and the, the, in, in Britain. And he said next thing they knew, they were in London. It was three hours. They were three hours late coming into London. So um, later on, they came to Colin Andrews. And if you ever interview Colin Andrews, he's dealt with five different bands that have come to him, famous bands to come to him to tell him their story. One was the Moody Blues. And Colin told me, he said, the Moody Blues came and they, they listened to his crop circle lecture and they said, we'd like to have dinner with you. We'd like to tell you something. So he said, okay, fine. So they go for dinner and Colin says, the head guy from the Moody Blues, Pinder is sitting there and the lead guitarist is sitting there. And they start telling this story about before they were born, they were in a room with these elders and they were told, you are going to go into the world. You are going to put, be musicians. You're going to put lyrics into songs. And Pinder's actually said, there are lyrics in our songs that come from somewhere else. He said this publicly. And they've got lots of stories, but they don't tell these stories. But he said, Colin says he's watching, and Pinder, and then the lead guitarist, and Pinder. And they're going back and forth, and they're telling the story. And they're not making it up. And they're talking about the fact that they were before they were born. They knew what was going to happen. And then the lead guitarist says, tell them how we came back in. Tell them how we came back into the earth. Tell them about that black hole. And there was this black hole that they came into the earth to be born. And, and, and the, so you have that one. And we have the one in, in Canada. It was a band. This guy is a fascinating interview. If you ever want to interview this guy, he's a musician. He's an artist. And his, his name is Steve Boucher. He tells a story about um, coming, coming into Toronto. They were, they were playing in, in um, Niagara Falls. They're coming into uh, St. Catharines where they were stationed. And this UFO lands and they, they're all taken on board the ship. And he talks about, you know, how they're coming on the ship and uh, the whole abduction experience or whatever. Again, he remembers before he was born. Same thing. He said he's standing and he looked like he was standing on the moon. He was pretty sure he didn't know, but he, it looked like the moon, like the, the earth was there. And this being is saying, you got to go down there. And he goes, no, I don't want to go down there. I've heard stories about this place. I don't want to go. And the guy said, you got to go. And this alien is talking about the fact he's going to go to earth. So you have these stories of these musicians who I think are these sort of creative right brain people. Cause that's what happened to, if you look at the experiencers research was done by Roger Lear, who was the guy who did all the alien implants. He was taking the alien implants out of people in, in, in Hollywood. Yeah. He does 17, but he has in his book called the, uh, the scalpel, the aliens in the scalpel. He has a thing where it says uh, the research was done by him and, and uh, Daryl Sims 
said that of the 250 people with implants, every single implant was on the left side of the body. Right. And the thing is, the left side of the body is run by the right brain. So what I said to people, the right brain is the female, the creative brain, the, the, the non-stupid brain, the one that taps into the universe. And so what I say is, all the implants are on the left side of the body. So whoever is putting the implants in is not interested in your rational analytical left brain. Wow. They're tapped into your right brain. And, and this is this whole thing. When you start seeing the data, it starts to support this right brain, left brain thing, the intuitive thing. You shut down parts of your brain to shut down the signal, quiet the noise, pop out, and the musicians are able to do this. Okay. This is what I find fascinating about the whole consciousness and alien or UFO or ET connection. You know, when I did speak with um, Susie Hansen on the show, she spoke about when she was a little girl being on the ship, how she was playing with the soul, which was a ball of light, a blue sort of indigo ball of light of her Her, her son. Yeah. And so here we are on earth as clumps of flesh with minds thinking, is there life after death? And yet highly evolved or higher evolved races of beings who have different experiences are not only know that there's life after death, they interact with life after, they interact with souls. This is what I find so fascinating. That that was an interesting story. I can make a comment on that because I I talked to her. She told that story in Toronto. And um, I'm a big follower of Michael Newton. If you've ever studied Michael Newton. Life between lives. Absolutely. And he has the levels of soul. So he says to people, look at yourself. What color are you? So it starts as white. It goes to yellow. It goes to red. It goes to blue. And it goes to purple. Purple is the top level soul. It's a level. He calls it a level five soul. And when he gets someone who's a level five soul, and he said he only had five of them in his whole career of 7,000 people, he'd immediately say, can I talk to your soul guide? Or your soul, your soul guy, because then he's one level higher than the than the red. Yeah. And Susie Hansen talks about her son being blue, and she yeah. talks about her being red. And when I heard that she was like a like a like a a, a a a purple, I got her on the elevator and I said, "I knew you were purple. I knew you were purple." Because <laughs> she's like this high level. She just gives off this thing, and she was laughing. She knew what I was talking about. Well, and I'll I said, tell you what. There's actually a higher soul color. And that's the rainbow color. It's actually the white light. It's the okay. rainbow. Okay. Well, yeah. See, Newton never but, talked. He just talked about the the five levels that he encountered during his his life. But that was the that's the thing where you have this thing where it crosses over. So you have I don't know what the percentage is, but it's pretty high percentage, twenty five percent or whatever people that are on the ship who have dead relatives that are brought onto the ship. And the one guy was really upset because they brought his dog, and he said that was cruel. Why would they bring my dog? They're playing with me and stuff like that. That they and so you have this whole interaction thing where it's all basically the same thing, or where you have out of body experience people. Like in my music book, I do a whole chapter on people who have out of body experiences who get music in out of body experiences, yeah. and they hear the music or they hear this music when they when they're coming out, and it always sounds like like an angelic, beautiful choir, almost like ineffable. They can't describe what the music. It's just beautiful. I really can't tell you what it sounds like, and and so you see all these crossovers. It's the same sort of uh, thing. And to me, it means that you're going into this field, almost like if you've ever interviewed um, Sherry Wild. Uh-huh. I've talked to a couple where I asked them, did you ever ask the alien if it's actually an alien? Because I have a theory that they might not, a lot of them may not be aliens because a lot of times a person will describe, it was a ball of light. Stephen Greer describes this in one example. It's a ball of light 
and it's in the room and all of a sudden it turns into an alien. So I say, well, okay, is it a ball of light or is it an alien? And if it's an alien, if it's a ball of light, does it eat bacon, eggs, toast, and coffee in the morning? And you get this thing where it may not be physical. And, and Sherry Wilde had asked the Da, who's her main person, she says to him, are you really an alien? And he said, no, not really. And then she said, well, why do you come as this ugly looking gray thing? Mm. And he said, ugly looking thing? Do you ever look in the mirror? And he, cause she's got big teeth, eh? And he said, when you, when you, when you smile, we think you're going to eat us. <laughs> I know. I remember her saying that on the show. And she also said that Da ex explained himself. And oh my God, I hope I don't butcher it. But he said, I am a interdimensional traveler. Oh, the yeah. way he described himself as a, as a soul, as a being, as a soul um, who can wear any suit he likes, an alien yeah. suit. And she said, yeah. why, and don't look, why don't you look human? And he said, oh, no, to wear a human body, to do the work I do, the human body's far too fragile. This, this, this like alien suit that I'm wearing is, is much better for what the, the work I want to do, like what I need yeah. to do. Yeah. And that's where yeah. I think it's, it's like wherever they are in the field, it's almost like Bashar, the famous channeler said, we come to you in your dreams because now you're in our world. And that's yeah. the whole thing. The world they're in is more, is more pliable. They can change into whatever they want. They can come in and, and appear as a physical being and go back out and then become a, a, a spirit or become, you know, a, a sort of a, a ball of light again or whatever they are. They're in the field. We just think that all there is is the physical. There is no balls of light. There's no spirit stuff like that. And they're able to move back and forth. And once we understand what's going on, we will be able to do the same thing. It's like, it's not magic. They're not doing anything unusual. They just know things that we don't know. Yeah, and that's why it's so important to talk to the experiencers or the intuitives or the people who are interacting with that intelligence out there to tell you what's going on. What are we making mistakes? Because the download I got about a year and a half ago was 24 things that came into my head, one after another. And it was this idea, if you're going to do mathematics, you have to do it properly. In step one, you have to add instead of subtracting because if you subtract in step one instead of adding, you can do all the calculations you want. You're all going to get it wrong. You have to do it. And it's this idea. Is it a conscious world or is it made out of nuts and bolts? If it's made out of nuts and bolts, it's one world. But if it's a world that's made out of consciousness that creates matter, that's a whole different world. You've got to rethink everything. And it was the idea that you're making all these mistakes. You're assuming it's a, it's a nuts and bolts world. You're assuming it's one life. You're assuming it's random. You're assuming all these things. And it's, it's exactly the opposite. And when you get that, and that's where the experiencers or intuitives or people that are in contact with all these different types of phenomena in the field, if you talk to them, they will straighten you out. And you just have to believe them and look for the patterns and listen to them and they will actually tell you, you got this wrong, you got that wrong. Instead of thinking we know all the answers, because if you knew all the answers, we would know what's going on. We don't know, what's, we have to admit, we don't really know what's going on. Otherwise we were going to be going to the stars, we'd be doing whatever. We're making some mistakes. We're making elementary mistakes and the only way you can do it, you can't get it by watching metal or listening to videos or watching videos or watching UFOs in the sky. The only way you can do it is the, the intelligence, as, as with musicians. Musicians are getting material. They're being given material. And they're being given messages, the same as intuitives, the same as uh, uh, people who've been on the ship and stuff like that. And we're being helped. And you've got to shut, shut off this stupid, you know, ego mind and Mr. listen to these people that, and as to what we're being told. We're being told what's going on. Yeah, Mr. Stupid, as Dolores Cannon called it, the ego mind. Okay, so my brother came to stay with me recently, and um, 
he is a contractor for the military. And I remember seeing an interview with uh, one of uh, David Wilcox's sort of insiders who said that the, um, you know, you can be programmed so that when you start talking about consciousness or spirituality or anything like we're talking about, you fall asleep, right? And every time I would talk to him about this stuff or even aliens, he would do the same with me. He would fall wow. asleep. And I wow. told him about, you know, this, and he got really upset and said, I have not been programmed to be, to fall asleep when you talk about <laughs> that. But so I had this conversation with him about aliens because I'm rabbiting on about them all the time. And I said, what do you think? Do you believe in them? And he's in his logic mind, right? He's like, it's feasible. I said, but do you believe in it? He said, well, I can't say I can or can't believe in them. And I said, um, what does your logic say? And logic says, no, nah, it's rubbish. And I said, what does your heart say? And he goes, what do you mean? I said, what does your heart say? Like what, when you're in fantasy, when you're like, and he goes, I really like to believe in them. Do you know what I mean? Like when he listened to that little kid inside him, he's obsessed with sci-fi. You know, when he listened to that heart, he's like, I'd really like to believe that what you're saying is true. But then the logic brain says, but of course it's, it's not. So it's just, I was witnessing I was witnessing this, these minds, you know, competing against each other, like you were saying, in, yeah. in my brother. Yeah. So it was interesting. Yeah. The, 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 the modern world is that way. It used to be the high priest used to be like the, the Vatican priests, and now it's the scientists. And everybody wants to be accepted. So you want to play the thing where I'm skeptical, you know, I'm not going to fall for it. You know, uh, you know, I've got to be, you know, look at it with a rational mind it's like they say we need some rational analytical left brain thinking and i say no we actually need exactly the opposite you got to <laughs> shut that down and and but that's the thing is is you're cool if you're skeptical and that's the way it works because so if if i if, if i'm your brother and i come to you and i say oh come on karen you know and it it puts me the it elevates me i'm the smart one you're the idiot and that's what so people feel good because they elevate themselves by making other people feel stupid, that you don't really know, I understand. And in the end, one of the things I have, one of the downloads I got was science claims they explain that, that they, they explain things. And I say, they don't explain anything. They are just describing. If you actually look, they don't, they don't explain anything. It's almost like they say, okay, the Big Bang happened and this happened and this happened, whatever. And I say, that's just like Moses went to the Red Sea. He got his staff and he hit the Red Sea and the Red Sea opened and the children of Israel went through. Nice little trick. Now, how do you do the trick? It's fine to say, oh, we got quantum wave potential and we got the Big Bang and stuff. Well, where'd that come from? It's like, almost like Terrence McKinney used to say, you know, the, the, the hard swallow. We, we, we believe all, we just go along with this sort of mentality. And when you come down to it, they can't, they can't prove anything either. And it's like, give me all the matter, all the energy. Give me the, all the laws of the universe. Give me uh, the Big Bang. And I'll explain it's all random accident from there. But I need the miracle. You got to give me that whole miracle. And in the end, science does not explain anything. You watch very carefully. All they're doing is putting names on things. They'll put a name and make it go away. And that's what they'll, they'll do with a lot of UFO stuff. Oh, that's just an illusion. Well, what's an illusion? And so they put a name on it and it, they can say, I've, I've got to figure it out. It's just an illusion. And that's in the, actually, there's actually a thing that was done with the split brain, with the right brain, left brain. When they did the cor corpus callosum, they cut the corpus callosum, and they, they actually did research. You never hear about it in neurology because it destroys the whole, the whole scenario. In the left brain, in the Mr. Stupid side, you have a thing called, they call it the interpreter. I call it the, 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 the 
perpetual BS machine. And what it is, is they would send signals in through one eye and through the other eye. So they'd put a signal in your right eye, which would go to your left brain. So the left brain is the talking brain. Okay, so they could talk to your left brain. So if I'm talking to you, I'm talking to your left brain. Your mm -hmm. right brain can't talk. But mm -hmm. you're, So what they would do is they'd send a signal into the right brain and say, get up and walk around. So the guy would get up and walk around, and then they'd say to him, so why'd you get up and walk around? Now they're talking to the left brain. The left brain has no idea because there's no connection. They've cut the corpus callosum. Has no idea why he got and walked around. And they said this, what's called the interpreter. What it is, it's like your brother. What it is, is when your world is consistent, it's like I've got it all figured out, no problems. It's like there's nothing going on here. And all of a sudden, someone comes and says, I saw a UFO. Suddenly, boom, there's a big hole in the wall. And the interpreter's job is to make the story consistent. Fill up that hole. Make it, and what it does is instantaneously, it makes a story. And according to the research that was done, it is never, ever right. It's wrong every time. So they would say to the guy, how come you got up and walked around? He'd say, I, I was, I was uh, tired. Or, you know, I, I, I wanted to get up. Or, Why did you drink the Coke? I was thirsty. And they would do these things at every time, instantaneously. That's the skeptic. That's the skeptic says, it was a weather balloon. You're just making it up and stuff. And what they also said is that when the interpreter makes that decision, it never, ever changes. It will stick to that thing. No matter how you attack it, it will stick to that little story that it made up. And we know this exists and they won't talk about it. It's called the interpreter and it actually exists. It's in the left brain and it is where skepticism comes from. It's trying to keep the world consistent. Don't tell me about this weird stuff that throws off my idea of how the world works. The idea is to be open to say whatever happens, but most people aren't. They want this consistent story. Don't mess up my world. Don't tell me bizarre things that, that, that defy, that make me have to think about how does the world really work. I've got it all figured out. <laughs> Don't tell me that Olivia Newton-John, the Moody Blues, and <laughs> we're speaking to aliens. I can't cope with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although sometimes that happens. And that, that's where I say, I was asked, and I was thinking about why did they contact musicians? Why are they using musicians? And what I say, and this makes sense, when you're a little child, when you have your, your daughter, when your daughter is between 1 and 10 years old, you are your daughter's hero. As soon as your kid is 10 years old, it's like, mom, get away from me. My friends are going to see you. And it's like, we don't want anything to do with you. And it's like, just stay as far away from me as, as possible. You're an embarrassment or whatever. And so who is their hero as soon as they're 10 years old? Musicians. Between 10 and 25 years old, it's musicians. So if you want a message, because you've got to get kids, it's like, say, why do they abduct children when they're, when they're, when they're in the cradle? Because when you're 20 years old, they have so much garbage in their head. You're going to need a big shovel and big boots to get in there to dig deep enough to put an idea in the person's head. Their mind is made up. That's why people are abducted when they're very, very young because the mind is open. And the same thing with, with young children is you get the message. They're looking for a hero. They're looking for someone. My, my mother's an idiot. Uh, I'm, I'm looking to save the world. I'm looking for something. And they latch on to musicians. And whatever the musician's saying, they go on there. So you put the message to the musician to get these kids to move it. Because so you see in the 60s, this whole love thing where they didn't want to go to Vietnam and they were doing the drugs. And that whole shift came through kids. It doesn't happen to everything that happens through politicians. That's exactly the backwards way. We think that there's a Messiah. Which one is it? Trump? Is it Hillary? Which one's the Messiah? And then we take a guess. Oh, I think that's the Messiah. And it's never. The, the politicians only follow what happens? It, the, the aliens, the spirits, whoever, they're coming from the ground up through people. The consciousness rises, and then the politicians join in. 
so that's where you got to get it very young in people who are whose minds are open or looking for something and it's done indirectly so it's not like the the beings or the aliens are going to come and they're going to land and tell us what's going on because that's not how it works you've mm. got to do your own homework they can't come and do your homework so they're coming from the bottom up this gradual rising of consciousness where you figure it out and you say oh i got this thing figured out i figured out what's going on and then you don't change and you you spread the message and when it gets to a certain point then it flips almost like gay rights or african-american rights or or whatever where you say well when did when did african-americans get the right to be human beings and you go I don't, know, I don't know, 20 years ago, 25 years, and you don't know, it just happens. And you really don't realize it just sort of flips. And I think that's what the, what the, whatever the intelligence is doing, it's gradually raising this consciousness to the point where everybody's going to say, yeah, we know UFOs exist. Now big deal. You know, it's like, I know it becomes self-evident. Um, but uh, okay. So the rapture, so, so the message in the music that we've been given for the past, uh, whatever, six, since the sixties, or maybe even since well, you said classical music is really about looking after Gaia is really looking about the earth. And, um, and then I think that I heard you talking in another interview, like if we don't, you know, the rapture will come. And definitely in these two songs that I was reading out the lyrics, they talk about that, like the one, the gold rush after the gold rush, you know, if we don't look after the earth, then. Yeah. Um, and love, love is the biggest, biggest message in all music is love. Yeah. Love, the earth love, will love take back. That was the famous Beatle line. You yeah. Know, love uh, is all you need. Yeah. The earth will yeah. take back. Uh, the elements will take back the earth. And so and, and the, you, the solution. And you had guys like, like John Lennon was one of the key people that had the, the messages. And I remember my friend, his name is Merrill Fankhauser, who wrote, the song is kind of weird. I only wrote one record, one 45 album in my life, and it was a song called Wipeout. And then years later, when I do the music book, here's Meryl Fankhauser who wrote the song. And I'm good friends with him now. And I said to Meryl, I said, is this bizarre, Meryl? I mean, you're the only sort of musician, the first guy I interviewed, and uh, you wrote Wipeout, and he lived in, in Hawaii. He had a UFO sighting, and he tells the story. He writes this song about his UFO sighting, and he goes to, um, to California and he plays it for John Lennon. John Lennon's at a party and he's playing this UFO song for John Lennon. And they said, so what did John say? And he said, he just looked at him. He said, it's just like channeling, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so John actually talked and Yoko said the same thing. It's like channeling. They realized this connection that they were linked into something. And it's like almost there's one lyric that says the deeper, the deeper you get, the farther you go or something like that. Was, they understood this, this idea. Do you know the lyrics in Wipeout? Well, the Wipeout was the famous one with the drum solo, where the with the drums, where they're they're playing the drums. It's a it's a surf. He was a surf rock guy, and it was a very it's probably the most famous drum solo song, and, and it was just bizarre. If you if you play it, it's a unique thing. It was the only forty five I ever bought in my life when I was like fifteen years old or something like that. And it was just bizarre that this guy, now I know him very well, he's invited me to his studio in California, and he said the same thing. He built his studio in his house because he, so many times he'd have something in the middle of the night and he wouldn't have to run down, you know, down get to his the car. Studio. The, studio. the studio was down, he would just go sit there and play it. And he's actually, um, there's actually a, a concert. He was involved, they were going to do a concert. And this is something I had the idea as well. Uh, there was a, a concert that was going to be done at Pepperdine University in Malibu, California. And what they were going to do to raise consciousness is they were going to bring in the Stones, who are all big into UFOs. Mm -hmm. uh, Elton John, not, not Elton John, um, David Bowie. David Bowie, when he, was, uh, when he was a young kid, believed the aliens were following him around. 
They, he believed that they were watching him. He edited a UFO magazine in Great Britain. People don't know this. And so he's a big UFO guy. And so they're going to bring in Elton John, Rolling Stones, Meryl Fankhauser, uh, Michael Jackson before he died. So they had all these, and they were going to play at Malibu, California. And they, or they were at the set where they were, they were doing the, 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 the permitting for it. It was all set to go, 25,000 people or whatever. And the guy whose name was um, Michael Luckman, who actually wrote the first book on musicians and, and aliens, The Connection, has a stroke and dies. So I tried to revive this thing because I said this would be a raise to raise consciousness because you have the Live Aid concert and the, the one for the, 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 um, the farmers and stuff like that. And you get these sort of like a high profile thing because that's what kids want to do. And it's actually now going to be done. Stephen Greer says he has a number of A-level bands. I don't know if they're going to run out of California. He's talking 20,000 plus people where you're going to have, and I, I would say it would be called UFO Woodstock where you'd have all these, and people would go, it's almost like the Moody Blues, they'd go, he's been abducted? <laughs> yeah. My, Michael Jackson has been abducted? And you go, all the, I can't believe these people. And it would raise the consciousness big time. It's sort of like a lot of people would say, well, if, it, if these band people are getting it, then it must be for real. And that's, I think, why they use these high-profile people is if you and I say, you know, I had this experience, they go, whatever. But if suddenly Jimmy Carter has a sighting or uh, Michael Jackson talks about, you know, the fact that he's afraid to put his name on songs because he didn't really compose them. They were just in his head, stuff like this. You start to go, oh, well, if Michael Jackson says that, if the Moody Blues say that, you know, if the Rolling Stones, if Paul McCartney's saying that, well, then it must be for real. Almost like, you know, it's in the New York Times. And yeah. so I think that's why they're using these type of people. And so to have this band thing, and I'm hoping uh, Stephen Gurr can pull this thing off because mm -hmm. it would be a major thing. It might even be like a worldwide concert where they stream this thing around the world where suddenly people realize like, wow, I mean, there's all these major musicians who have this insight. They're tapped into this field and it's not just music anymore because a lot of kids, it's just music. Even like me in the 60s and 70s when you'd hear music or whatever and you didn't realize what, what, what Let It Be was about. You, you knew the songs, you, you heard the songs, whatever, but to get that connection that there's this higher... Uh, sort of intelligence yeah. that these people are tapping into and hearing them say it, I think would change the world quite a bit. Mm, absolutely. Well, let's wait and see what Stephen Greer comes up with. I'd love to do something like that, a big uh, consciousness rock um, concert here in Sydney. I mean, there are lots of conscious musicians who come here who have big concerts, but to have, to have it focused, there's big festivals here in Australia um, I can't think of them, but up in Byron Bay and here where they bring bands together. But it's never really themed about around consciousness. It's just themed around having a good time. Kids go yeah. and take lots of drugs and get drunk and party and dance and yeah. stuff. It's never really focused the energy into this education of who we are, what our power is, what we're doing to the planet with our right. ignorance, how we can change that. And how we can actually shift the future. Because like you say, Susie Hansen, all of them, I've spoken to like several people that are in their 60s now, even 70s, that when they were children, they were contacted by either ETs or angels or out-of-body um, out experiences or near-death experiences where they were shown the destruction of Mother Gaia, the destruction yeah. of the six-mass distinction. And so... 50, 60 years ago, they were shown and they were given a message, this is what you're in for if you don't change. 
and, and you know if you don't if you if you let mr stupid run your life and not have this brainwave coherence where you have this oneness connection where you feel empathy towards others where instead of criticizing people you love them instead yeah. of criticizing politicians you love them and yeah. you come up with solutions and allow downloads from your et relatives your cosmic family to help you clean up the mess that you guys have got yourself into because yeah. we yeah. have just this we've turned this planet into a toilet bowl we really yeah, have. Yeah. We've just pooped all over the it. Thing is to get it the thing is to get the message across so that you don't offend them because you come straight at them, then they just sort of back off like your brother. You just sort of back off. But it's like you invite them to a party. We're going to go there and get drunk. And then all of a sudden the message is in there. Almost like with Hollywood, when you put these things into Hollywood where the skeptical guy turns on it, and it's just a story. And yet you're educating him. He thinks it's just a story but he's getting subconsciously downloaded the song almost like you bring him to the, the rock concert and then the, the stuff starts and they sort of go into it and they don't really realize that, that cause they, they get absorbed into it. Mm -hmm. And so I think you've got to sort of meet them at their level because the confrontational way, and that's where they, I think the, the, the intelligence is doing the same thing is they're never con confrontational where they say, you have to believe this. They just come in and they show these certain things and they're not really interacting with people and yet they're moving the consciousness. You can see them, mm. they're shifting the consciousness because mm. it's this indirect thing, almost like we have the idea where I always make the joke, like, like, like the American idea is we're going to Iraq and we're, we're here, we're bringing you freedom, democracy, Jesus and McDonald's. And we need you to do this, we need to do that, you're doing this wrong. And the next thing they're pointing a gun at and saying, get out of here, like leave us alone. And so that's our idea. So we're going to go and convert people. We're going to bring them to, to Christ or, you know, this sort of thing. And people just back off where you got to come in sort of sideways and realize that the intelligence is doing this indirectly, cautiously, make, get, making you think that you came up with the idea yes. and uh, doing it that way. They're where, bypassing Mr. Stupid. <laughs> yeah. And that's where the band thing may work. Where, where those kind of, I thought this would really revolutionary thing because it's uh you know, a lot of kids are going to go there for one reason and they're going to come out and say, holy cow, you know, this, you know, like, and they realize that these, these guys who are their heroes are into this and it's like, okay, I'm into it too. And, yeah. and they'll just go along with it. And that's how you have to shift the thing because you got to go to the young people, the old people. It, it, it even said with, uh, I think it was Max Planck from, from the quantum physics days said science advances one funeral at a time. Wow. And that's the same, I think with everything else. That is, is that brilliant. That is brilliant. We, we, we sort of think that we're going to convert people. And in the end, it's sort of like the young people come in and it's, it's not offensive to them. And the old people who don't believe, they just sort of fade away. And uh, so it's a uh, slow I, process. I know. And it's yet, if it's, a, if it's a multiple life universe, it really doesn't matter. I even say it doesn't matter if we destroy the world because you're still coming back. You're gonna, it's almost like the, the, the silver seeds. You're going to go to another planet, whatever. You're going to learn your lessons. No matter if you destroy this planet, you're going to keep going until you learn the lesson. And we, it's better that we solve it now. But if it's a multiple life, we've got forever to figure this thing out. And it just, it's, so it all still comes down to me is not what are my kids doing? What, what's the government doing? Whatever. All you have to really worry about is that one thing. And that's where Michael Newton was. I've very driven my life by Michael Newton was you come into the world. If it's multiple lives, you believe that you come into the world for some particular reason. You have to figure out, why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? Because they're going to ask you when you leave. They're going to ask you, how did it work out? And I, I did a study. Before I got into UFOs, I'd done a study at hospitals 
where I was working with dying patients and I, with, with chaplains actually. And it was the whole idea of all these weird things like people come to greet people when they die and near death experiences and people predicting their death and all these weird stories. I wanted to hear these stories about these people. And what I learned there was they said, the people who die the most miserable are the people with the regrets. I should have said to my son, I should have get my son here. I, I, I want to say, I'm sorry, this kind of thing. So it's these regret things that when you're the last day on earth, you, Oh, you know, I should have done this interview. I should have done this. I knew I should have done that. I put it off or whatever. And so that's the whole thing to me is, is just keeping it centric on myself. What am I supposed to be doing and forget about everybody else that they, you know, whatever. All I'm concerned about is what am I doing? And am I doing what I'm supposed to do that in the end, you really can't, you can't really, you can only change people by changing yourself. That if you become a better person and you get your message out, you may change other people, but you're not going to directly go in there. It's almost like the, we always think, well, they've got the problem. I'm going to go and solve their problem. But the, there is no, we've all got problems. We have to decide what's our problem. What are we doing? And, and then just go about doing it. You only change people by changing yourself. I love that. Well, darling one, uh, you're not going to die with any regrets. And when you <laughs> have your life review, your guides are going to say, well, you overdid yourself, Grant. You, like, you did about, you know, much more than you planned to do. Congratulations. They're going to be uh, shaking your hand, so. patting you on the back, saying, well done you. You've done a well, fantastic job. I think you're, you're on, the, on the right path as well. That's where I... <laughs> I'm happy to talk to you anytime because that's that's what it comes down to is when you're living at this high excitement, high expectation, and you run into people who are probably not, you know, synchronicity, we're intended, almost like the Michael Newton, we're intended to do this interview. We may have been together before we were born and decided you do this, you work in Australia, I'm working in Canada, we're going to do this kind of stuff. And you, you, you look at the world that way, then you see uh, you're looking for the connections and you, you realize it's all this connected thing. And, um, uh, you, you do what you can and I still worry. I mean, you still worry about, you know, it's not going well, or this is, you know, you, you, you're, you're, cause your ego mind wants to say, it's not going very well, Karen. I mean, it's messing up. You think you're saving the world, but I mean, look at this problem, look at that. And yeah. it keeps getting in there and it's the ability to go through the pattern of meditating three times a day or whatever it is saying, thanks. Thank you. Three times a day, uh, being empathetic for people who aren't, don't know what you know. And going through that yeah. process. Now, I just where, I want to reiterate, being empathetic to people that don't know what you know, I think that's just key. I think that's key. Yeah. There's a few key things that you said, being empathetic to people and knowing that even if the world does fall apart and does get destroyed, there's always another one. There's another timeline. There's a chance to do it all over again. There's a, like Esther says from the teachings of Abraham, uh, you'll never get it done and you can't get it wrong. You'll never there get you it go. done and you can't get it wrong. And so we have uh, infinite opportunities to like groundhog day right to get it right again tomorrow so maybe i screamed at someone today i can love them tomorrow so yeah, yeah. and you just have the gratitude that that's i try to like i live with the wayne dyer thing where he says three times you know every, every day he gets up and say thank you three times because you realize that you actually got to play the game and that's why i always the message i always try to get across to the ufo people is you got to realize if you under if you think you really understand what's going on you understand the multiple levels, the, the beings that are helping us, whatever. You got to realize you are in the World Cup of all stories. You got to play in this game. 
You didn't get to be an untouchable in the streets of Calcutta and spend your day looking in a junkyard for something valuable enough to sell for food for tomorrow. You got to play in this massive game. You're in the stadium. You're playing this massive game. The most important story of all times is like being at the, at the time of Christ, living with Christ or something like that. You've got to realize you're in this game and you've got to be appreciative of the fact that you got to play the game and then get on playing the game and don't worry about all this other stuff. We sort of, you know, sort of forget that, that this is the biggest story that will ever hit the world. There's nothing even close. And you and I get to play the game. And if you realize that, you go like, oh, this is pretty cool. I'm pretty lucky here. You know, like, that's the way I look at it. And, and you say thank you every day. You just say thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, I'm not like, you know, the cat that's just wandering around, doesn't know, you know, really what they're doing, what they're, they're saying. You've got to play this unbelievable story. Well, I've just, time has warped as usual. I've just looked at the time. We've been yakking now for like nearly over an hour and a half, I think. I, don't, I have no idea. But um, I just wanted to ask you, what's, what, what are you working on next? You've got a new book coming out? I have a book on, um, I'm still down the, the rat hole of disclosure. I've got a book where I'm going to try to bring disclosure. I'm going to, I, I've realized um, I'm getting older. And I was given um, some material and you spend your whole life trying to say, uh, where am I? You know, if, if, if a UFO crashed in your backyard, what would you do? How would you get the story out? How would you stop the government? Whatever, all these kinds of stuff. Or if you got the ultimate document, I got some material that was given to me. I've got some material, held material. I've made mistakes of making deals with people in my life where it's like, don't tell people this is going on or whatever. And I've kept all these things. And I realized, you know, when it comes down to it, that's what I wanted. I wanted to know what was going on. And it doesn't help me. It's like the Bible says, what profiteth a man begins the whole world and loses his own soul? So what I know. So what I know what's going on. So I'm going to start to drop material, very dramatic material, that will say this is for real and the government has known it all along and a number of researchers have known this all along. That's a book I'm about to drop within the next 30 days. But then I hope I can get out of it and I want to go to this contact modality thing. I'm going to go through all these different modalities of channeling, of uh, ESP, telepathy, uh, Ouija boards and stuff and go through, uh, I'm going to write a book. I'm doing the lecture this weekend where I'm going to sort of outline this whole thing, this idea of dissociation, shutting down Mr. Stupid, popping into the field and that everybody who has these talents, whatever these talents are, I can say absolutely you can look at their story and in the middle of the story there's going to be some sort of dissociation there's going to be a near-death experience there's going to be a meditation there's going to be something where the person has dissociated they've been able to shut down either somebody's forced them to shut it down like a head injury or something like that or they've done it themselves and that's where i think is the ultimate explanation well, well, of all paranormal phenomena it's interesting because i uh there's a great uh rule of life that i live by and that is what you resist persists and okay. so the ego mind is a part of our human experience and so i don't even try to shut down my ego mind she still exists and she's still very strong but yeah. i ask her to move aside you know like i feed her cookies and say sit in a chair while i just you know go home for a while and just contact yeah. And, you know, just before this interview, I was in the ego mind, like, right, I've got to read his bio and I've got my lipstick on, is my hair all right and right and mm -hmm. I'll turn these knobs and do that and blah, 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 blah. And then I received this high pitch. <laughs> and I'm like instantly, okay, there's a message coming through. Get out of like, just move aside, Mr. Stupid. It's really not Mr. Stupid, that part of me that's like getting yeah. organized. And yeah. 
thinking about silly things like what I look like and listen for a minute. And, uh, and so I don't resist that Mr. Stupid, you know, like I, I love her or Miss Stupid. I love yeah. the ego. Uh, there's, there's, but, a, there's actually but she a, doesn't use me. I use her. Like I use yeah, you her. Have, you have to, yeah, you have to realize it's there in control. There's a, a, an interesting um, in, uh, a TED Talk. It's the second, I think it's the second most popular TED Talk of all times. It's Jill Bolte-Taylor. I don't know if you've ever seen this TED oh, Talk. Oh, I love Jill Bolte-Taylor. Absolutely. And she tells a story yeah. about yeah. The, 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 the little voice. And she says she has a left brain hemorrhage. So her left yeah. brain shuts down completely. Yeah. And then she says it's like as if she took a remote control and shuts off the voice. Yeah. And she said it didn't tone down. She said it just shut off. And for eight weeks, there was no fear. So fear is a creation of the brain. There was no fear whatsoever. And there was no voice in her head. And after the eight weeks, when her left brain starts coming back online, suddenly she realizes like, there's that voice. And she, she knew what it was like without the voice. So she makes the rule. She says, the, the little voice, the little ego, she says, okay, from nine o'clock in the morning till 9.30 in the morning, and from nine o'clock at night till 9.30 at night, you can complain, whine about whatever you want. But at 9.30, shut off. I don't want to listen to you. And she <laughs> claims she can actually control us. She yeah, gives yeah. it half hour in the morning, yeah. half hour at night. Of course we can control it. I don't know if she says no voice, but the critical voice. It's the critical voice. Because I think that she was still having uh, a voice. It just wasn't. It was. It was like a, a psychedelic. She didn't have a voice because she was talking about psychedelic in, feeling of love and oneness and compassion. Yeah, and, she was and, in utopia. Yeah, she mm -hmm. had the. Yeah, listen to it because she said it wasn't. I remember her saying it was. It wasn't like it toned down. She said it was like you took a mute button and just shut it off. Yeah, and yeah. she said it was, it was completely there. And she said, but so she said when it came back, it was like, oh, I, that thing is back. And uh, it, she's really good. And, and that sort of reinforces that idea that, you know, where she's saying, you know, the, the left brain is saying, you're in trouble. You better do something. You're in trouble. And then, then she, the left brain shuts down and she's going, this is so cool. How many neuro, neuroanatomists can watch themselves have a stroke? And she's yeah. in the other world, you know, it's, she doesn't realize she's one with the universe and stuff. And then the voice comes back, you're in trouble. You better do something. You're in trouble. <laughs> and that, that, I know, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. It is all over the internet. Jill Bolte Taylor. She was interviewed by Oprah. Uh, she's brilliant. I just love Jill. The, the Oprah one was good. Where yeah. Oprah's got all the little bookmarks, and she's gone through the whole thing. And yeah. that that shows that idea that that it is this idea that you do have these parts of your brain. Like people always say, "Oh, your brain, quiet your brain down." I go, "No, you got to realize, like the brain is is, is it, two sides." But it's actually, if you listen to the guy who came up with the interpreter, and he's now getting into out-of-body experiences. He was an atheist type guy, and his name is, um, um, oh, shoot, I'm going to forget his name now. Um, Michael, anyway, he's, he's the guy that took over after they won the Nobel Prize for Split Brain. Uh, and uh, Gazeniga, Michael Gazeniga is the guy's name. And he says, the brain is thousands of modules all working together. It's the same idea. It's this idea of oneness. You have to understand that you are like one mode in your, one little module in your brain. You have one thing to do. It's visual, it's balance, it's whatever, but you're working together with, and they all work as one. The same as you are like one cell in your body and, and, and you're working with the rest of the cells, with the rest of the human beings. And when you're, you get the ego where I'm just going to divide, I'm just never going to die, then you become a cancer cell. 
You have to be realize you are one. You're doing your, what is your job in this world? Mm. Work together as one. And that's how the whole universe works. Like if mm. you've seen my email thing, I do this attachment with the email where I talk about the beehive. And it's always like the aliens always are in this thing. It's like a hive mentality, this horrible hive mentality. It's supposed to be a hive mentality. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to, you're with one. You, you make the, the one better. You're supposed to do your job. And instead of you, me, you versus me, whoever's got the most toys when they die wins, this kind of mentality, mm -hmm. rape, pillage, kill, and steal stuff. And it's the idea where, you know, you have the, the, the queen and the, 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 the drone are the same. They're genetically identical. And yet, one knows what to do to feed the other one this this thing to turn it into a queen. The queen knows what to do. Everybody's doing their job. And that's what we have to realize. We are one, or almost like there's a guy by the name of, um, he is inexperienced. He wrote the book called The Children of the Greys. Um, mm. Brett Oldham is his name. Fascinating book. At one point, he's talking with the tall gray. And he's, he wants to confront him. So he says to him, he asks you a question. What's your concept of God? And he said, the tall gray looked at him and he said, we are one with the one who is all. That is the message. That is exactly. Everybody is one with the one, whatever you want to call it. And when you understand that, then all the war goes away. I say categorically, this is one of the downloads I got. It's this idea of separation versus oneness. Everything I maintain, everything that is considered evil goes back to the belief in separation. If you do not believe in separation, you cannot create evil. Evil comes when I suddenly think I'm better than you, that your skin color is different than mine. I'm better than, you know, all this kind of stuff. I have to take your stuff. I have to kill you. If you, you actually realize that we're cells in the same body, it's like one cell is going to go and kill another cell or steal the other cell. You are to be one to do your job in the body and everybody works together and then the body is healthy. When, the, when everybody starts separating and doing their own thing and the egos are all clashing and everybody's fighting about, I'm better than you, I've got a better policy than you, then you get the separation, then you get disease and the body dies. I love that. I'm one cell in the one body. Yeah, yeah, in the body of God. Yeah. 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 I think Neil Donald Walsh put it beautifully. What is it? One, oh, gee, I can't remember those clever ways. He puts it in conversations with God to remember. Ah, to remember to re-member, to once again become a member yeah. of the body of God, that cell yeah. in the body of God. And that's Brian, the key with Cameron, the... thank you so much. It is the key. Thank you. The Let's do to... it again sometime. It's the key to everything. It's the key. I would love it's... to talk to you again. You are a library. You are a universe of libraries of information and knowledge, and I'd love to talk to you again. We could talk. We could go so far. Maybe we'll get some people to ask some questions and we can ask questions. We could do some lives on Facebook or something. Sure. Uh, that would be great. That'd I'd be love fabulous. it. This is, what I, this is what I enjoy talking about. So I know you're, um, you're not doing your show anymore, the Cameron Files. You're just putting yourself out there so that you can – you know, talk what you want to talk about instead of ask inane questions to other people talking about silver lights in the sky and things like that. Um, so I applaud you for that because I think that this conversation about consciousness and our powers of creation, who we are as one cell in the infinite body of God is just, it's where it's at. And um, thank you again for being on the show. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Okay. Grant Cameron, isn't he fantastic? I hope you stayed all the way to the end. He can talk, let me tell you. He's just so full of amazing, fascinating, fascinating information. We were just hatching a plan 
to maybe do some Facebook lives and inviting people to ask questions because he's just so full of incredible information about all sorts of things, consciousness, ET experiences, everything. You should see all the books that he's got. As I said, if you want to buy some of his books there, I'm going to put the affiliate link on my page, the description or the link will be in the description under this uh, audio or YouTube. It will be there if you want to go there and support the show. Thanks again for staying with me if you stayed all the way to the end watching another show or listening to another show accentuating the positive with Karen Swain and uh, let me know if you've got any questions for Grant or, or me and we'll do a Facebook live I just don't know where we're going to host it I could host it on my page or his page or both I'm really not sure about that I have to get the logistics sort of sorted out for that maybe you can help me with that is there anyone out there that can help me with the logistics on Facebook lives I've never done one before but um, the message has been given to like get the message out there. That's really the message in the message of all the songs. It's like uh, it's no good just listening to the message. We've got to share the message. We've got to spread the message. People have to start living the message of oneness and more love and connection. Yeah, we've been given the message by source, by God, by ETs, by higher evolved beings. They've been feeding us the message. Are we listening? Are we listening? Are we implementing it? Are we putting it into our own life? Have we forgiven people? Do we criticize? Uh, do we criticize ourselves? And those people that we criticize, can we rethink that? You know, maybe that's if we're one cell in the body of God, then that's another part of us. Do I want to criticize that person? And if I do, do I want to criticize myself? Or do I want to love myself and be healthier, happier, wiser, more connected? and thrive in this world and beyond that's the message thanks again for watching remember if you want to have more of these conversations with myself on how to be more deliberate not let mr stupid as grant calls it the ego run your life or those subconscious limiting ideas about yourself and uh, be more connected to your infinite potential it's what we do in the inner sanctum deliberate creation i call it for the new world teachers and uh, yeah, remember to get the book, Awakened by Death. The next one's coming out this year, Awakenings, People's Stories of Awakening, Spiritual Awakenings. We've got people that have had out-of-body experiences, people that have had illnesses and they've uh, overcome their illnesses by becoming more conscious and loving and forgiving and less stressed out, changing their lifestyle, overcoming incurable il illnesses. Um, oh, there's all sorts of things. There's one guy that had a chat with God. He just had a near-death experience. He didn't actually have a, he didn't die. He just left his body. Like he didn't have an accident, that's what I'm saying. Like a near-death experience. And God was telling him about this oneness principle, about how there's no right and wrong, good or bad. It's all one. It's all one. It's all the play of the infinite creator. It's all love. There is no source of evil. There's only one source, and that source is pure positive energy, which you can allow or pinch off with your consciousness, with your thoughts, with your beliefs. That's what it's all about. Love you all. Thanks again for watching. See you soon. Bye for now. Mwah.